Hiya, Dan here. Another episode of Zero Ambitions, a podcast about sustainability, the built environment, and carbon zero goals. Yeah, this week we had a chat with Alan Smith of Morrison Construction. He's their low carbon manager. So, talking carbon with a tier one contractor. We talked about the usual things carbon, retrofit, energy efficiency, passive house. But it was a good one. Lovely fella. Interesting bloke. It was just Alex and me on this one. I think Duncan, we foreshadow an appearance that never actually happens. But he was a great guest and we'll be having him on again in the future, I'm sure. So before the podcast starts, we've got a few asks, which we don't normally offer. We'd really like the podcast to reach more people. So if you're able to, if you could rate the podcast, that'd be great. Five star ratings, I believe, make the biggest difference subscribing is really good for us as well so if you're not subscribed please sign up and if you can share it if you think it's worth listening to it's probable that your peers will as well so tell someone about it share an episode there's a whole back catalogue that's likely to be of interest to someone we always recommend the usable buildings guys i think uh robin mcalpine's a lot of fun anyway last thing if you think there's anyone we should be speaking to Email us directly at zeroambitionspodcast at gmail.com. I think that's it. Right, I'll let the episode roll. Cheers. Bye. Oh, thanks for listening. Good to see you again, Alan. Yeah, good to see you. Um, we were introduced, how was it, Alex? Well, we were introduced uh, by Katrina Jordan from uh, Best, actually. So I uh, wanted to give her a quick shout out as well to thank her for putting us in touch. I mean, we were, yeah, really curious to find out. I mean, we hadn't heard of you. Because we were uh, relatively, I mean, maybe I shouldn't say that because you're a you're a very big player. <laughs> well, but, well, not 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 necessarily, but uh, yes, I'll, uh, I'll, a, I'll I'll take it as a side side uh, side compliment. Yeah, you're a you're a big enough player that we we should have been aware of you. But yeah, it was interesting that she suggested or recommended we speak to uh, a big beast like you because you're not a small player by any stretch of the imagination. Particularly because, uh, would it be fair to describe you as a tier one contractor? Tier one contractor, yeah. So they aren't often synonymous with sustainable construction or carbon reduction in the built environment. But yeah, do you want to do you want to give us a bit of uh, for the listeners an idea of who you are, what you do, and what Morrison Construction is? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm Alan Smith. I'm the low carbon manager at Morrison Construction. My, my background is in architecture. I'm a chartered architect uh, and I moved into uh, the contracting side about seven years ago, joined Morrison Construction as a senior design manager. And I moved into my current role uh, just over a year ago. Uh, and that was really uh, in, in recognition of all the the current wave of, of projects that are, are going through um, in terms of the low carbon, uh, low energy project, a number of the passphrase projects that we're doing as well. So our, our business has is, is really tried to pivot um, in its approach to, to, to be able to service them um, adequately. So it's an interesting pivot because sustainable construction of any sort, even thinking about carbon efficiency, is very much, I mean, it's still very much a, a, a sidetrack it's not the core of the construction business. So, I mean, how how did you come to be involved in low energy building? 
I mean, organisationally. And I am interested in yourself as well, because there's always an interesting tale there. Yeah, so it, the, the the timing was quite interesting because it was about, uh, well, it was 2019 when the, there was all the climate emergency declarations that, that were taking place. And, and it, 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 at the same time, um, Passive House was starting to get some traction, um, certainly in the... In the Scottish market, there'd been a, a bit of a sell um, round about Passive House and in, in, through a lot of the councils. And so we, we do a lot of our work through the through the hubs in Scotland, which is a sort of public-private um, framework um, for delivery. So um, a large percentage of our work um, goes through that. And so so we were we were approached by or, or via the hub through uh, one of the councils, West Lothian Council, um, to deliver a, an early year centre, uh, or sorry, two early year centres, two identical. And then at the time, they were saying, "Oh, we've heard about this passive house, and we, you know, want to explore it a little bit more detail because that's starting to align with our um, net zero um, declarations um, from from the council, and all, all the other councils were, were going through this this same journey at the time." So, to, to cut a long story short, we, um, we we did a feasibility study, and um, it was decided that we would do one one of the buildings passive house, um, and one of the buildings just traditional. So that that kind of set us on our our pathway of you know really having to understand what what passive house was and what we needed to do as a company to to get our processes and procedures um in place so so that was about three years ago and then that that set off a, i guess a big chain of events of, of delivering that project but then also recognizing that that we needed to um certainly enhance our um, processes internally, so so we set up a, a, a low carbon working group, uh, which I headed up in the company, and and, and yeah, that that's kind of evolved to, to to where it is now. And the 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 project that we delivered, so that that ended up being the first. Now we, we put a bit of a spin on it to, to get the the term first in there, but it it was the first public commercial building in Scotland because there was a privately there was a rocking horse um, nursery up in Aberdeen University which was a private commercial one but we we said right we are we were the first um you know public commercial passive waste building in Scotland so so that that was quite a big learning curve um for us and and then in the, in that period obviously the 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 amount of passive house low energy low carbon projects has grown exponentially um in in terms of the ones that are coming uh, coming our way or or certainly that we're we're being exposed to so so yeah that that was that was really the 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 kickoff so i i think it's really interesting that it's passive house passive house being the platinum standard of low energy building i have to say that cuz like jeff co-host is editor of passive house plus obviously subscribe to passive house plus advertise uh, all that stuff um shamelessly <laughs> dropping the plugs in but like i'm a bit more agnostic like Passive House is the platinum standard. But when you're dealing with public entities or other official entities, it can be a bit of a daunting prospect to have to engage with because the standard itself is validated and held by someone else. You can't really own it yourself. You've got to, you've got to seek someone else's permission to put to, to rubber stamp it. So I suppose what I'm getting at is is the passive house stuff being driven by Public practice, or is it being driven by private contracts? Because it's interesting that you mentioned it was within the framework, like that was the catalyst. Yeah. yeah. So I think for that particular client, they 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 wanted to. They're a very progressive client, and and they they wanted to really explore the boundaries, I guess, of of what what might become a standard for them 
moving forward. Um, yeah. But what what is one of the key drivers, uh, which which you may be aware of, is that up in, uh, in Scotland, the through the, the Scottish Futures Trust, which is the the sort of government led uh, funding body for um, public projects, certainly a lot of educational projects. So that the projects that we get, which are mainly um, sort of educational projects. Um, are funded through the Scottish Futures Trust, and and they've got a, a funding model called the Learning Estates Investment Program, mm-hmm. um, and they've got four funding criteria. Um, within that, it's um, economic growth, which is all about the you know the the, the growth created um, through the through the job itself, um, digitally enabled learning, and there is the condition metric, so they have to be built and maintained in a certain condition. But the big one was really the the energy energy metric and. Mm-hmm. There was a there's different bands. There's band A, band B, band C, but there's a band A which, if you can demonstrate that your building is hitting this on a, I think it's every three years over a 25 year period, you'll get 100% of your funding. Or if it if it's in a band B, you'll get 90%, band C 80%. So there's a very specific uh, target. So it's 67 to 83 kilowatt hours per meter squared, mm-hmm. and um, th- there are certain deductions around about that, around about core hours. So essentially what that meant was that it really focused the authorities on their projects that are getting funded through the SFT on the energy performance of their building. So it really shifted that focus. And and that's why a lot went down the or are going down the passivist route because they, they just see that as an absolute stonewall guaranteed way to to, to meet that yeah. bandy funding category. But what, what we are finding is that you don't have to go down the pathways route to, to get that. There are lots of different ways, mm-hmm. um, but the but certainly there's that, as you say, the, the platinum standard. It's 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 it is that kind of badge that a lot of councils are wanting to go to to provide that um, exemplar. Although interestingly, the, the the authority that we have delivered that pathways building for are not taking or not are not actively taking that forward now. I think they they see that is there are obviously huge benefits to doing it, but the they're they're quite comfortable of just going down a um, a slightly more just lesser route. I don't want to use the term lesser, but um, you know, not not meeting the the, the full passivist requirements. Yeah, you can say lesser. You're in good company. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay. Good. Yeah, it's interesting because it does. So I heard about a project, a significant project, which was cited as meeting benefit standard. And slowly but surely, things are being rolled back. This is a, a public project. So, you know, flagship launched, all doing well. And the hope is still that they will be able to push things, keep pushing things forward. But yeah, man, belts are being tightened. Things are being squeezed. And consequently, yeah. that the performance is going to be squeezed, which is a little bit mad when you consider the cost savings involved. Yeah, I, I think that that's that's the biggest challenge at the moment is that certainly with the the, the funding stream through the SFT etc. They, they've got metric rates that that we need to hit, and that there's certainly that the projects that are going through the pathways route are there are commer- commercial challenges on those projects, and you know that that is not exclusive to passive house. There is obviously a, a lot of other things going on in in the industry and in the wider world at the moment, but. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, there is that slight disconnect at the moment between expectation and reality um, in, mm. in terms of delivery. And that that is 
that you know probably like the project that you're referring to there there, there are similar challenges on on projects up here as well um, in terms of being able to deliver what what the project is initially set out to set out to do it's bad isn't it because conceivably this is the point that jeff makes like passive house doesn't need to cost when it's new build it doesn't need to be any more expensive than a traditional build well can i can i ask the question because i've been meaning to ask this and to put it rather bluntly is building to passive house actually profitable for a business like yours <laughs> um it is if you if you win a passive house project and deliver it on site um it is yeah so no i, I think there's uh yeah it's certainly I, I guess going back to us as a as a company you know a, a lot of our work is repeat business and morrison, morrison construction we, we we work within the central belt of scotland um galfer try are our parent company so that there's lots of other um, divisions in in the company but, but certainly morrison construction central where where i work we have a lot of repeat business um a lot of repeat clients so be, being able to demonstrate and, and have that track record of being able to deliver projects to that that level of quality is is a real is, is a real badge for us and it, it it allows us to hopefully maintain and you know build on those relationships so in, in that respect, yes, it is. But the, I think everybody's sort of grappling with what, what the, those costs are on passive ice because as you were saying there, Dan, the the costs not being more than a an existing or a traditional building, that is really not our experience of it at all. Um and I think that is that's where that slight disconnect is at the moment with with the expectation of clients. I think they, they have been or they, they do have that expectation um mm. for potentially for, for whatever reason and it's it's how how do you start to bridge that gap because go, going back to that project that I, I mentioned at the start the the early years project where it was a twin project where we delivered one uh, passive house and one traditional so you, you you were literally comparing apples for apples and the the, the passive house building was you know quite significantly more expensive and when you do put them side by side, it's easy to see why you've got triple glaze versus double glaze. You've got walls are twice as thick and you've got a mechanically ventilated system versus in this case, it was a naturally ventilated system. So um, but you're not comparing apples with apples, really, because for that project, you'd have had to upskill and you'd have been procuring materials at a different rate because you've got volume, you've got your economies of scale to lean on for all the others. And the other issue is, like the traditional build is always the only paradigm through which we tend to view traditional build is through uh, capex. So capital expenditure yep. is easy to quantify. But yep. If you're looking at a passive house proposition, then you're thinking about you. I mean, you can look at it just a capex, but if you're not factoring in your operational expenditure and the cost savings in time, there, I mean, you you your equations are right off the mark to begin with. But no, I, yeah. Sorry, Alex. I think no. I was just going to say, but I think it's still a very interesting and valid thing to do, like being able to put two houses side by yeah. side and their their performance. I think, Daniel, you're absolutely right. Obviously, there's there's more to it than just the materials that you're putting in. Absolutely, but I think that there is a point where you know everyone has to start somewhere, and I think that's what you you guys were trying to do is let's do this and let's do this right, but let's actually see when we do things the traditional way and when we do the things the new way. What what are the significant uh, improvements? And I'm presuming that there were significant improvements, maybe not in the actual upfront cost of building that house, but I'm presuming that the actual 
comfort, the uh, the performance of the house, and all the other bits that obviously we know about passive house were that much higher. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, absolutely. And um, we did the life cycle analysis, and 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 there is a there is that payback period in terms of projected costs, and it, it does obviously you know have have a uh, have that sort of through life benefits. Um, however, what I guess the, the reality is that um, for for the clients that they they have one team and one pot for capex, they've got one team and one pot for the opex side of things, and uh, until they can really smash their heads together and say, well, we need to take money out of that operating pot and put it into the capital pot. And then, you know, it becomes a challenge. And and the said that the, the funding streams by the sorry, Scottish Futures Trust, there are very defined metrics and caps, caps in there. And that is the challenge at the moment, because certainly up in Scotland in the central belt, because that was the first one and it was a very small one. So it was it was only just slightly larger than, than domestic scale. But but now there's not not just us. There's all, all our you know sort of the the other tier ones as well are delivering passive house at a, a much larger scale. Uh, primary schools, secondary schools, and colleges and universities. And and that I guess that is where the the, the issue is at the moment is that it is a very first generational um, approach. Whereas down maybe in in certain regions of England where they are maybe on more sixth seventh sixth seventh generation that that supply chain is is a lot more upskilled and the materials are a lot readily available or th- that that has collectively brought that that price down or you know closer to, to where that you know maybe original metric was yeah um, but that's that's where we are struggling a little bit at the moment is to try and really accelerate that that learning so we can reduce that gap which is maybe created by risk pots or you know wh- whatever it may be well, I wonder whether like your point about like a body like the SFT being able to catalyze this again or this sort of drive towards demand reduction you know a mantra that we we like to hold people to like oh man maybe they could play a role so the the conversation we had I don't know uh with Jennifer Finn from AC White the other week was like the procurement part like the establishing what needs what the contractors need to provide needs to get more skilled and this is this is we're not costing out local authorities or private procurement bodies like you know it's tough for everyone we're all learning but you know they can they can set the terms by which a project is going to succeed or fail and what you just said about the the capex people and the opex people being siloed mm. you know well that needs to change but that needs to be that needs to come from somewhere else so perhaps so you've described a situation where the SFT is incentivizing investigation in this area by providing funding so perhaps people like them they have the power to make people talk because it's proper hard work getting people to talk to one another yeah and i think those conversations are certainly probably above above my pay grade um for sure and i think the, the i know their their next wave of funding um or the leap phase three um which which will be the next tranche of projects I, I i know they are you know they are very much looking to to address that um in in terms of trying to align the you know what what is the 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 metrics versus what needs to be delivered as well so yeah it, it is is it is definitely being addressed but or the you know from a from a ground level that there is um there are certain challenges that are you know just just looking to be uh hopefully hopefully overcome but uh, yeah the, the market is quite quite a challenging place at the moment all right so approaching 
construction projects in a more sustainable manner. Are you focusing primarily on uh, performance or are you factoring in carbon calculations? Like you mentioned full life cycle. And I know from the, oh, what is it? The Net Zero Partners PDF that you've got, I think, on yep. your website. Like, you know, you, you actually ask your suppliers, like, are you aware of how to calculate embodied carbon on your projects? Things like that. Like, how, what's the sort of extent or breadth of your work in this area? Because it says, like, your vision is to be leaders in the construction of a sustainable future. Like, that's in your, your brand stuff. Uh, yeah yeah so we, we've only just started getting projects now who have deliverables around about embodied carbon but probably about a year ago um we we started to look at the embodied carbon just to try and get an understanding and, and we used the 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 letty guidance uh, and the, mm -hmm. the targets that letty and, and reba 2030 uh, were setting so so we could do just some shadow exercises on our projects just to, to understand you know where where do we sit um, relative to these targets so we could start to certainly come at it from an informed position when when they do come come on board which is which is essentially just now so so we we, we signed up to the the carbon calculator tool uh, one click and we've been in in the process of of just trying to establish what what that means for our projects because probably 90 percent of our projects are, are steel frame buildings um with sfs infill you know that is pretty much our bread and butter yeah um on our projects so so we really wanted to know you know is is that going to have to change or are we you know in relatively safe grounds you know once we once we do move into that the the sphere of embodied carbon um and so so we, we did an exercise on one of our existing uh, or one of our primary schools which is in development at, at the moment and it was coming out so the, the target that the so there's the the net zero public sector building standard um in scotland which is a voluntary standard at the moment and and they set a target of 600 kilograms of co2 per meter squared and um, just for the for the building only upfront uh upfront construction so th this building as a standard as we delivered was coming out about 730 i think for for example so that allowed us to have a look at so how, what what do we take from that? How do we get that seven thirty down to to six hundred? So we we looked at you know uh, introducing green steel um in into the builds. Uh, we looked at increasing the the recycled content um in the concrete um and we we looked at the um, recycled brick that the the innovation centre or, or best are um, championing uh, the, the Kenetech K brick mm -hmm. um as well so so we ran all that through the, the calculator and, and and we got it all down to uh, below the below the 600 figure but then we, we did a, a check on right what is the increase in cost for green steel what is the increase in cost for the you know additional recycled content in, in the concrete and came to a, a figure for that particular project but it, it really did sort of highlight that if we're starting to look at embodied carbon that it needs to almost be a a fundamental design decision as well it can't just be a right there's the design now where where are we right let's start swapping out materials um because one of the feedbacks on this particular project was although the building was quite a very efficient form it wasn't a passive house but it was, it was one of the low energy buildings it was a very efficient form it had a good form factor but internally there was lots of balconies there was lots of cantilevers um there was lots of secondary steel work to support the the, the window systems and so when you look to the steel tonnage, the, there was lots of transfer structures, you know, there, there was yeah. lots of additional secondary steel. And 
when when we put that next to a notional figure where we we, we broke down that six hundred kilogram figure, Letty have a they have a, a notional breakdown of of their embodied carbon um, in construction. So they they assign a percentage for substructure, superstructure, mm-hmm. internal walls, MEP, and finishes. I think it is. So we took those percentages, split those percentage, or split that six hundred into those percentages. So we, we, that gave us notional targets. So we could say, well, the, the substructure is there or thereabouts, but the, the superstructure is well over the, the target. So so that's what highlighted that if we're going down the steel route, obviously if it was timber, it would be different. Um, but there's challenges with timber. So if we're if we are going to go steel, then going to green steel is going to come at a cost. So we need to really fundamentally think how can we make that steel frame as absolutely efficient as it can be, you know, make the steel members work as hard as they possibly yeah. can and essentially reduce the tonnage um, down and you know, from a steel perspective, a reduced tonnage is a reduced reduced cost as well. So it's it's trying to you know have that in, informed um, informed position so that when we do start a project, we're we're not it's not just a a bolt on it, it it becomes a sort of fundamental part of the the design discussion as well. Do you, do you think that um, uh, so as you said, now you're you're doing a lot of research to find out you know where you need to go, and if everything you're doing, all your research is starting to point seriously that you have to maybe drop the use of steel and you have to start using big alternatives that are going to have a big impact on your business. Is the business, is Morrison Construction, do you think it's ready for that, for its own transition already? Or do you think it's going to take time? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, we, we are uh, we're essentially a management contractor. So we, we're relying on all our, all our subcontractors. To, to essentially do do the do the work on on site, it just so happens that in in Scotland, there, you know, st- steel frames are there's quite a competitive market for for steel frames, timber frames, and the likes of CLT is is really not very competitive at, at the moment. And mm-hmm. when when we get to, to price a CLT building, it's it, it really does it's it's hard to make it stack up and. Same with concrete as well, although I think concrete's changing a little bit um, in the marketplace. So I don't think it's so much as us as a company. It, it, it's more the, the the marketplace and, and the market readiness for the, for these um, alternate materials. Mm. So but I think it's for, just going back to the embodied carbon one as well. So we, we're expecting that there'll, there'll be a um, requirement for embodied carbon in our projects and it's just where it's just how you look at it because we're looking at it purely from an upfront construction perspective but if you start looking at it from a from an end of life perspective as well and then if you if you factor in the the, the reuse the recycling of those materials then it does start to balance out you know the timber starts to or concrete and steel starts to get a lot closer to timber and when you, when you factor that in so it's it's all really about how how you're calculating it and you know, as to as to where the where the, where you sort of see the value. Yeah, our whole economy, uh, the Western economy, is built on funny accounting practice. Like yeah. what you're describing is like externalized costs, which are gradually being brought internally. Like the first externalized cost that we're like in economic terms that we're beginning to get a grip of is embodied carbon, and like the the costs associated with that. You know, another externalized cost is pollution like air pollution from all the the other practice. But it's going to take some time for us to really get this. I'm, I'm really curious about how your supply chain gets on with this because like, there's an issue of accountability. You guys win the work. You manage the work. You make sure it happens. But 
like one of the the common themes is that we discuss on the podcast is how <laughs> and the expertise isn't widely available enough and as you said like the uh, the materials aren't necessarily widely available enough um yeah how how what's it been like like bringing your supply chain along with you yeah so that that was that was really the the one one of the first things we identified when we started to to look at this a few years ago was that it it, it really was going to be the the capability of of the supply chain that was going to be the the success factor um in this and you know again for for us as a Morrison construction central we've got a very um strong supply chain and a, a very tight tight supply chain that, that we use so there is a lot of um work and rework with with our supply chain so we, we, we're able to sit down with them and and explain what what is required of them for for example us as a company we, we decided three years ago to um put our employees through the the passive or the certified passive tradesperson um, route. So there's around about 200 um, employees in our in the Morrison Central, and at the moment there's about 40 and counting who are now certified passive tradespersons. So we've really passed that down to our supply chain and, and and said to them, please go away and and get yourself trained up because you will it will start to unlock a few things in, in your head as well to, to to understand and and here here is the pipeline of of work that's coming and you know if you can demonstrate that you are you're getting yourself upskilled then it's going to put you in a very good position um, to win to win that work but I, I guess it's uh just the way the market places at the moment it's you can't guarantee that that's going to necessarily take place we we're certainly seeing a lot of our subcontractors who are who are very proactively taking you know taking the reins um, in in that respect, and they, they're they're really helping us out. And you know, just you mentioned Katrina and, and the best. We've got an, a good partnership with them as well, where where we have, we've built a a steel test rig um, in in their yards, where we're we're looking to or or, or we have. Um, constructed uh, different types of detailing um, for for pathways projects, and and we've used our supply chain to to build that and test different solutions. So it gives them an exposure to what what is going to be required of them yeah. before they get onto site, um, and and also from a from a tendering and a procurement perspective, that they they know what they're pricing and and they know they know the level of quality that they need to provide. But ultimately, you you learn on the job um you know most of the time and because there's very few large project or large pathways projects on site at the moment yeah it's it's it's, it's going to be interesting to see how how we do guarantee that that level of quality and, and, and delivery yeah so what's your plan can you can you divulge such things like because presumably you've got to be quite involved because it's these are relatively pioneering efforts i mean it's a thing that's been pioneering for 30 years or so for long enough but every new market, everywhere it's being embraced, it's uh, it's another beachhead. I mean, is this your responsibility as uh, Mister Low Carbon? Um, well, we 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 set up uh, so th- through the working group, we, we set up an initiative called Net Net Zero Partners, and what what that was really designed to be was a, a it's really a forum for us to to pass on the information that that we know and some of the market intelligence that, that we know down to our supply chain as well and, and and get the feedback from them that hopefully we can then pass up the chain to to clients to say look this is where we are um, in a marketplace at the moment so that you know hopefully that can help align 
that level of expectation or, or the, the level of performance requirements that projects are, are specifying. So net, net zero partners is, is really about us. Uh, there, was, there was three strands to it. It's all about carbon literacy, making sure that the, the, the supply chain know what, what's going to be required from them from an embodied carbon perspective um, in, in terms of what information they, they, they need to provide. Upskilling. So again, that's you know pass, passing on the 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 sort of training requirements for for the, the tradesperson training, for example, and then site quality on site. We we've, we we're um, certainly looking to evolve our sort of low carbon elements on site in terms of waste reduction and um, energy usage on site. So it's just trying to touch as many points as we can and. Um, what we found is, so on on the launch, we had fifty of our supply chain partners attend, and we've had a lot of them now coming back to us. And we had one that brought their supplier of green steel, for example, on, and then they they then did a presentation to the to the, all the all the attendees of the the net zero partners. So we're starting to see that kind of knowledge share. Hopefully, try to sort of filter its way through. Um, and we, we've got a follow up event in a couple of weeks with with our client group that we're going to. You know, hopefully pass pass up some of that information up the up the tree, uh, which will which will hopefully you know maybe inform how how they they think about you know projects are procured or um, you know that, that sort of level of expectation. So it sounds like they've been quite receptive. Like one of the things I found really interesting is we like we've spoken to so many people since we kicked off, not just this, but the 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 focus of everything is user experience on low energy building, and like we've spoken to loads of senior people. And people who we expected to know better and found that their carbon literacy was, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, really not up to snuff. Like, what sort of standard are you starting at with these suppliers? Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be horses for courses, really, in, in terms of the, the, the different elements or, or, or the different disciplines that, that they're in. And we're, we'll expect more from some and probably less from others. And I guess one of the biggest ones for us was the 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 groundworks, for example, um, in terms of because you know the, the, the amount of concrete that's going into the into the ground and and we we I mean that probably will be one of the the, the biggest challenges generally, but um, certainly through through the discussions with the supply the supply chain or the um, some of the groundworks contractors that we've had, they, they are very proactive. I, I think they. Um, or I'm not going to speak for for all of them, but but certainly the the ones that we've we've spoken to, they they really see the well one the value for them in in understanding it, but but two that the 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 place that they play. So yeah, no, there's been some really really good feedback, and you know just for example, what one of the one of the subcontractors, Grindworks had, had come to us and they, they were telling us about their their sort of strategy to to. Uh, remove diesel from their their, their fleet, their, their, their JCB digger fleet, um, and and how they were going to do that, and because because for us as a company, we, we are trying to set um, a roadmap for ourselves to say, you know, when when can we say we'll be completely diesel free on on our sites? So yeah. so we initially came up and said, oh, let's just set a notional target. Let's just say you know, twenty twenty eight for argument's sake. So w- when we had that initial conversation with the ground workers, they were like. There is no way we're going to have completely diesel-free fleet by 2028. So you can either stick with that and essentially lose our business in 2028, or you know maybe come up with something a little bit more more realistic. So I think that that's the value of these discussions that we're you know really you know hopefully getting that 
that real um, on the ground feedback as to what is actually achievable um, from from their perspective. Um, and what one of the one of the ones that they they'd highlighted was they they work with a um, a waste waste production facility. And they've got a, a, an aggregate, um, uh, what would be the term, aggregate recycling plant. Because a, a lot of the a lot of the clients and a lot of the clients' requirements that we get, just for example, for um, for type one or, or type two upfill, is that some of them say you know virgin material only. Yep. And I think that's probably been born out of maybe 10, 15 years ago when the the recycle content in in aggregates was was you know probably less than you know less than desirable but but now when i went out to this plant last week and the you know the the quality and the or the, the quality of the material that was coming out of it was was incredible really compared to what you, you saw going in going in the machines so it's having that conversation with a client to say what, what you're saying in terms of no virgin materials for example is look can we rethink that because now you look at what the supply chain can do in terms of recycled materials and roundabout the, the circular economy principles and you know hopefully change that mindset that will allow all this recycled material to, to come onto site as well so ha- having these conversations is is really good for us because it allows us to really see what what is happening at that that subcontractor and supplier level and and hopefully that you know the position that we're in will allow us to have those conversations um with our clients as well to hopefully um align uh, requirements that will will allow these um these things to happen so you're educating your your your, your clients as much as your suppliers then or are you in fact i should ask the question rather than make a statement jesus can I, can I say i'm really pleased to hear you're doing a lot of user research obviously you know dan and i are really really big on user research and the <laughs> It's really good to hear that you know you're out there listening and and understanding you know what the requirements are not just by guessing in a sense but and not just through analysis but actually understanding through conversations what what is needed. Yeah, so uh, as I said, I think we we are we are quite fortunate because we we do have that level of of repeat business with clients and we've got very good relationships with with them. So it's conversations that that we can have with, with the clients. And and be able to 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 pass that information on. So, yeah, ho- hopefully um, it will allow us to, you know, influence in you know e- even a small way. Um, it would would be really really positive from our side. So, all right, go on, Alex. Well, um, maybe my question is really. I was just listening to obviously with the conversation we're having here. We haven't really touched upon retrofit as such. Does retrofit figure in in the work that you do, and and where does it sit? Because it's a really important part as well of you know of decarbonizing the built environment so so what do you do with uh, retrofit or how, how do you work with retrofit yeah so we we are um we're working on a number of retrofit projects at the moment we're, we're doing a, a fairly high profile retrofit of a, a town hall in, in in air and certainly on the immediate and medium term horizon we're really anticipating a shift from from new build over to, to retrofit um just with the way the with the funding models are are set up where it does really incentivize or or they're certainly looking to incentivize and um, building reuse so yeah that that's going to be a a big change for us to 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 be able to service that and it's it's going to be a real challenge as well you know at the in an ideal world i'd love to see building new buildings is would be great all the time but you know we, we obviously appreciate that that's uh, that's not not how it is now so yeah re- retrofit is going to be uh that's the, the next real challenge for us is to 
to really understand how we can I think the biggest thing with, with retrofit projects um, from our perspective is being able to procure it in, in a way that it's not going to fall foul of relationships with clients. And, and I mean that in the sense that, you know, how, how can we get to a position where they can be procured and delivered with certainty? And not not have huge big fallouts or you know commercial um, yeah. implications further down the line, and which which seems to be a, a huge issue for for most retrofits. And um, you know adding adding an enerfit on on top of that is is going to be even more interesting. So yes, it's um, it, it's definitely something that um, we, we are well we we are doing. But um, yeah, we're we're certainly going to have to get um, get a lot more skilled up on it as well. So it's another one, isn't it? Like. We've we've had this conversation plenty of times. People are looking at the cost, not the value. Mm. Omitting to have the quality to make the the accounting work. Yeah. When you're always going to end up paying for it further down the line if you don't do it now. So, I mean, what's the conversation like with your clients in those terms? Like, is this? Are you are you alluding to a, a similar situation where they just they don't have the capacity to wear the cost, or they're just not prepared to wear the cost, or is it about risk? Perceived risk. Yeah, I, I, there, there's definitely the, the the risk profile goes up quite quite significantly, and uh, and and again, I think that what we've not been because because we've we've not really been exposed to too many retrofit projects that have specific um, energy performance targets. That that's that's very much going to be the, the next the next stage. So yeah I, I think it's it's going to be that that you know where do, where does the budget where where does the metric fit into that and and how how can we deliver on that because I, I guess there'll, there'll be some retrofits which will be really straightforward and then there'll be be some which will be not straightforward so it'll be understanding how how can that that be priced in in a, in a way that is you know palatable and and you know can can be delivered that you know everybody is everybody is happy at the end of the day well, back to that uh, capex, opex, externalized cost conundrum. Which, yeah, oh man, no one seems to want to face that one. Um, right, you've mentioned it at least twice in this conversation that so passive house, platinum standard, but other low building uh, opportunities are available. So, yes. what what are you what are you playing with there? What are you exploring? Yeah, so I, I mentioned the 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 passive house rig that we've got at at the innovation center and what uh, what we are really finding is that going down the passive ice route is is great um but it does involve a lot of bespoke or it, it potentially involves a lot of bespoke detailing around about the the wall build-ups um etc so what, what we are trying to to look at or or maybe promote is the the design for manufacture philosophy where if you if you take what is what can be readily delivered um, or manufactured and, and delivered in the market at the moment then that that is that is going to drive value into into a project so mm-hmm. i think an example that that w- we give is on the on the rig for example so steel frame and sfs is our our bread and butter and if you maybe don't want to go too technical here, but if you've got a passive house building on a steel frame, you you want all the insulation out, outboard of the steel frame. So if you've got the steel frame with a, a sheathing board outside, you, you'll have your rigid insulation board outside of that. But to get a, a low U value for, for passive house, you might have to put insulation within the SFS zone and maybe additional insulation internally 
as as well. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that brings your VCL um, internally or, or a VCL um, internally. And if you've got a, a, a fairly substantial buildup of the insulation outboard as well, then you are, you know, you're into the realms of bespoke um, fixings, top hat fixings for your rain screen claddings or your, your brick systems. And th- that starts to spiral. And I think you start to get, you know, very, uh, what's, what's the right word? Yeah, you start to to lose that that economy of uh, that economy um, in in the builds because the yeah um, in the design for manufacture approach, if you say what is the what is the materials and, and what are the the, the bracketries that are, are off the shelf non bespoke items that exist at the moment. So mm-hmm. in in a post Grenfell world, we can't have any combustible cladding in the in the cavities at the moment. So if if I say take a, a rock wheel geo slab for example the the thickest insulation that can go is 225 millimeters, and uh, a standard Ancon fixing bracket for a, a rain screen system or a or, a, or a, a brick system will will only just you know fit into a, that that 225 mil um, insulation zone. So if you say that that with the SFS buildup, in the 225 mil Rockwell Duo slab, and then the the Ancon fixing system, that is all off the shelf um, materials that will get you that that build up there. Yeah. So what what is what is that U value? Is it is it 0.16, 0.16, what, whatever it may be in that that particular buildup? So if you say, well, that, that sets your target for your wall, and then you know feed that U value into your whether it's the PHPP model or the the the, the TM fifty two modeling, etc. You you can then start to play about with it, the the roof, the floor, or maybe the, the the efficiencies of the ventilation system. But it's it's what 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 was the outcome of of that once you put all these um, non bespoke elements into the system what, what does that come out come out with at the end of the project and it might not be a passivized building but i'm sure it'll be a very high performing <laughs> building there and you, you've got the benefit of re- reduced bespoke detailing reduced waste on site and you know all, all the benefits that you'd have with design for manufacture so i, I think that that's where we, we think we can get a lot of design certainty and from a supply chain perspective very standard detailing as, as well on that yeah. so I think that's certainly what what we you know think is a is a good good starting point. Is that is that not really coming down to basically doing prefabricated buildings where you can really control every single aspect because everything is or most things are built within a factory and therefore all these bespoke elements to, to some extent they should disappear, shouldn't they? Yeah, the, the 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 prefabricated element obviously doesn't suit all building typologies and 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 we we don't necessarily do prefabricated buildings in in that um, extent um what, what this really is is saying you know you can still build with traditional systems but try and work within the the realms of of what those systems can provide and given that you know where, where the market is at the moment and the, the more you can obviously do off-site and you know uh, i gave an example of sfs but you can you can do composite paneling um as well you know, what, what what what's the depth? What's the 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 buildups there? You know what what U value does that give you? And then sort of work almost work work back from there. Yeah, I think it's, it is trying to increase that pre manufactured value and and reduce the amount of labor or or, or time on site or, or rework on site. Is if if you can get that balance right, then you you will really start to be able to deliver that quality. And you know, once hopefully once the supply chain has, has delivered a number of these, then you know that that just starts to become the norm at that stage. I so suppose. Sorry, Alex. Sorry, I was just going to finish off just quickly explaining. But what's interesting there is that we are 
in a sense, still beholden to traditional building methods. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I just mean that we still have to work within the ways that we're used to. Like we can't just suddenly overnight just go, guys, it's great. We're just going to have these gigantic factories. They're just going to literally spit out a house on, on big, you know, like in the American style, off on their, their big rigs, and then we'll pump them in. It's just not the reality. So I suppose there's really still, a, you know, just as a comment, we still have to be able to work within a system and a framework that people are still most of the majority of the people in the industry are familiar with and we can't just have a transition that happens overnight it will take time no absolutely and and that was our view is that there is definitely a step change in the quality that you need to do for for the likes of a passive house building but when when we actually started to really scratch the surface off it it wasn't a step change in one particular element it was just a step change of everything added together and if you use the the Sir Dave Brailsford's um, analogy of marginal gains, it was you know if we can do one percent better in terms of briefing, if we can do one percent better in in the, the architects or the, the engineers detailing, if we can do one percent better in terms of our procurement, if we can do one percent better in terms of what the subcontractors do on site, if you add all those things up, then that is the step change um, that you need. So it's how do we not just scrap everything that we've done? It's like right, what we we do things that we we do really well. So how can we just take that and then just incrementally improve on that, and and hopefully that that will you know provide that that step change, and then as and when you know these these techniques and processes come through, and then you know let's absolutely feed feed that in. But yeah, I think for, for our our supply chain and our market, it's it does have to be um, evolution rather than than revolution at, at that stage. Yeah, revolution happens very slowly, and then it happens very quickly. So it feels like it happens all at once. But what really happens within revolution is you have a culture change, a grassroots culture change, driven by something else usually. But I mean, what you're describing with the marginal gains, if you're setting targets across your whole organization, but increment, looking for opportunities for incremental gains, then you're fostering, you're propagating that change. You're creating conditions for the the revolution, which is, I mean, to be perfectly frank, it's absolutely necessary. We don't have time for evolution. Yeah. You know, as much as those moths might have gone dark during the, the industrial pollution era, we don't have time for that sort of change. We've got to move on it right now. So like what you described then, you're like, you're looking to innovate within your own building practice, like looking at what works elsewhere and making it work for you guys and making it work for your clients. Don't get me wrong. So. Other firms like yourselves will be doing it the same. Are you guys sharing knowledge? Like, are you you're part of Gallifer Tri? So, is this is this experimentation and innovation being shared within the the group, and is it uh, shared externally without of the group with other groups, or have we got lots of people trying to invent the wheel? No, I I think I think that is that is definitely the case. Certainly on on the frameworks that we sit in the the, the hubs that there's yeah. there's five, five hubs in in Scotland. So the the for example in in one of them there, there's three three main tier one contractors of, of which we're one, and the, there are monthly you know tier one meetings where where we do share that that knowledge and and that understanding. So yeah, no, that the, there's certainly that um, that cross cross pollination yeah. yeah of of information and. Yeah, look, some some probably do more more than others, but we, we you know primarily will all use the same some, same subcontractors to a greater or lesser extent. So no, that there is that there is definitely a, a an appreciation that we can't can't be siloed in in this anymore. And 
you know, if we keep things to ourselves, we'll, we'll win work. I don't think that that really works anymore. It's it's all it's all about how we how we collaborate and and, and how how uh, how we work with the industry is is um, certainly how how we are we are approaching it anyway. Cool. It's mad how things are evolving and changing. I mean, we've talked a lot about the the you work on frameworks, public sector focused stuff. What's it like in private markets? Yeah, the. The, the the bulk of our work is certainly um, in in the public sector, although we are we are doing um, private work as well. And I, I would say that there's there's certainly not the same push from from the private side as it is on the on the public side. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is just it'll just be very individual to the, the that particular client as to how invested they are in in that that particular agenda. Yeah, it's 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 a very mixed bag in in, in that respect. Yeah, it's tough. It is funny how people have to be on a mission to want to to either swallow the extra cost or but I suppose we're down to the shareholder primacy question there, usually. There's no there's no mission beyond profit. We pride profit over quality. Certainly in England. Scotland appears to be a little bit different, but uh... Yeah, it's, it's certainly in, in, in the yeah, I, I can't really comment hugely on, on the private side. It's it's not a it's not a sector that I'm hugely um, hugely involved in. So um, yeah, I would probably defer defer comment on that one. <laughs> so who deals with is that? Uh, so within your remit as low carbon, oh, what's your what's your job title? Low carbon manager. Yeah. Like are the the like presumably within the business you've got like a private sector and public sector facing teams like so are you not called upon by the private sector team to to get involved or to to help educate those clients yeah I, I, we, we don't necessarily have a, a public and a private um, team it's it's just what what where, where the projects come in but i I'm, I'm really sort of called upon um as as it were um it, you know when, when projects have specific low carbon uh, drivers so we, we've got uh i'm working with the Galfer try group at the moment on the, the overall Galfer try um, targets and our carbon reduction framework uh, mm-hmm. how we how we can apply that to, to all our projects but pro- what projects that's applied to is is just specific to those particular needs of those projects as it happens all, all our the bulk of our work is public sector and all those projects have these re- these requirements so that that is really my kind of main focus on on those projects but as and when they, they do come in then you know it's it's the, it's the same approach on on those projects but it, it, it is a lot more um it's a lot more sporadic in that respect okay well i think we're due to wrap up um but we do have one final question for you uh well it's two questions wrapped into one really but i thought it'd be really good opportunity for you to sort of tell our listeners and specifically contractors and clients you know what what do they need to know to play their part in the just transition well what should they be asking because like as we've discussed like there's a lot don't know a lot so how can they get involved yeah i think for me it was when i started looking at this it was a it was a real big beast it was a big onion with lots of different layers at it and once you started peeling away those layers, there was you got to the heart of the matter fairly. You know, got there eventually, and and you see what what the drivers are and and what where where the challenges are, and that that for me was just really educating myself. And you know, I think that the Letty guidance was was really good. For example, that that was a really good place to to start for for me just to to understand it and what what that meant for our project. So 
yeah, I, I, probably not a great answer, but I, I think if <laughs> if if you can, you know, have a bit of a deep dive and uh, just understand and, and and read, try and filter through a lot of the noise and and see what what the main priorities are is is where where we've sort of found the most value at the moment. So yeah, I think that would be my yeah initial initial advice in that regard. Yeah, I mean, we'd always advocate ask the specialists what to do. Give them your goal, uh, and they can give you the answer. Yeah, although, yeah, although I would, um, it's maybe a sort of contra- controversial way to end, but certainly some some of the advice that we've we've seen that has been passed on to clients is not correct or or proved to be not correct. So I, I think almost to counter that, I would say <laughs> f- form your own opinions. Don't necessarily believe a specialist because I don't think anybody's a specialist at, at the moment in, in this. I think it's it's too uh, too much in its infancy for anybody to, to really know everything. So form your own opinions and yeah, and then once you've got there and then you can decide if you want to believe an expert or not. Yeah, fair play. Well, uh, wise words. However, I would suggest that the Zero Ambitions team are actually all experts. Uh, of course, of course. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Um, all right. So uh, wrapping up, do you want to? Do you have anything to plug? You mentioned you've got an event coming up, which sounded really interesting. Yeah, no, it's. it's it, I probably wouldn't want to plug it as such because it's a uh, the the invites are all out. It's. Uh, I think I've maybe just mentioned it really in in terms of what we were you know doing with the Net Zero Partners. So no, I, I don't really have anything I want to end on. So yeah, no, it's, that was really interesting. No bother. All right then. Well, uh, join the AECB. Join ACAN. All the usual plugs. Passive House Plus, subscribe, advertise, and uh, thanks for listening. And thank you very much for your time today, Alan. No, thank you. It was really, really interesting. Thank you. No problem. Mm-hmm.